This episode is sponsored by our friends at Musicbed. Find the perfect song for your films with a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a good listener, you can get your first month of subscription free or 20% off a single song purchase. Just enter promo code GOOD when you check out. This episode is sponsored by Film Supply. Film Supply is one of the most highly curated stock footage catalogs you'll find available today. Finish your next project faster with footage that matches your creative vision. Go to filmsupply.com for more info. And just for good listeners, they're offering three free clips when you sign up and 20% off your next project with coupon code GOODPODCAST. Also this season, we're continuing to give away a ton of content over at Patreon, sharing treatments, behind-the-scenes photos, and ways to interact with our guests from each episode. To become a patron, check out patreon.com slash goodthepodcast. Now, here's the show. Hey guys, my name's Christian Schultz, and this is Good. So a couple weeks ago, me and my friend John Paul were sitting in uh, Airbnb, and we decided to put on this film called I Am Mother on Netflix. And we didn't know who shot it, didn't know who directed it, but just thought it looked interesting. And immediately after we finished, it was very clear that this is probably one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. Uh, it's up there with Alien for me. It's up there with Ex Machina. It was just very special, and I don't want to ruin anything for anybody quite yet, but just know that in this interview with the cinematographer for I Am Mother, Steve Annis, um, we'll have some spoilers, but we'll also dive into a lot of the technical challenges that they dealt with uh, for the shoot, some things that they innovated uh, in the in the sci-fi world for this shoot, and I'm super excited to be able to share this interview with you guys. And uh, so without further ado, let's get into the interview with cinematographer Steve Annis. You're in, you're in Mexico, right? What are you doing? I was just shooting a commercial. Okay. For Samsung. Okay. Who's directing that? Can you tell me? Yeah, a lovely gentleman called Michael Spitzia, who's at MJZ. So this is kind of a first for us as far as the show is concerned, because we've never had a DP on to just talk about a single project. So I'm, I'm really excited to cool. skip all the bullshit, you know, and yeah. kind of get into some just like, you know, shop talk and, and sort of dig inside the, um, the world the that realms. you guys created, which was, yeah, the realms. Um, but yeah, I, let's get a little bit of context about um, what we're going to talk about. Um, okay. You just shot a, a beautiful movie with uh, Grant Spatore. Is that how you say his last name? It's Spatore or Spatori. Spatori, let's, let's, okay. Let's say it both. Let's say both. So if he listens, right. <laughs> he won't get offended. <laughs> right. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. You, cool. you guys have done commercials in the past, right? No, no. Funnily enough... No. Okay. Funnily enough, the way the, it's a funny little link because the the gentleman who I'm with right now, Michael, I'd actually just wrapped an Apple commercial with Michael 
um, I mean, it would have been a couple of years ago now. And um, the DP who Grant originally had couldn't make up his mind whether he wanted to do the film or not. Mm. And and having just come off this Apple job with Michael, um, Grant and Michael grew up in Perth together, I think. Well, they're, they're Australian buddies. Um, and Grant was like, look, I'm, I need a DP. And Michael went, well, I've just used this guy. He's awesome. Give him a call. Mm. And that's kind of how I got the job. So when did you first read the script was it immediately or was it sort of half-baked and they were trying to get funding or something like where was it no it was all it it, it was all in place i mean they had they had they they, it was a co-fund from film australia or the australian film board or whatever it's called nowadays and and then there were private investors and producers and um and so i you know the, the way that i i'd actually sort of just missed out on a film and I was caught very eager to do a, a do a film. I mean, I I I'd done I'd shot Kissing Candice, I think a year prior to that. Mm-hmm. And I've always said to myself it would be amazing to do just you know one film a year, just to sort of keep the tempo up, make get a break from commercials and promos and um, and and so this film kind of vanished from me in New York and um, and literally the next day the script came my way and I and I read it. And it and it and it did appeal to me, you know, because it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't some sort of action schlocky sci-fi. But at the but it, always in my head there was the um, the budget. I mean, not look obviously if, if you're making Blade Runner twenty forty nine or whatever mm-hmm. forty eight or something and or or whatever you and you've got all the money and all the time in the world. Um, sci-fi can be a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of bad sci-fi, a lot, a lot. Right, right. And and especially, you know, I mean, I, I say I, I say this carefully, but um, but obviously since the ad, advent of pay-per-view and 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 content and stuff, there's a lot of content out there that isn't up to scratch. Do you see where I'm going mm-hmm. with that? Mm-hmm. And so so when you're making genre, you've got to be careful. And um, so, but look, Grant Grant's script was amazing. Um, but the thing that sold me was um, the production designer, a, a guy called Hugh Baitop, mm. and um, and his his. We did a Skype together, and he and he sort of showed me around his workshop, and and that was the final clincher, because looking at what Hugh was creating, um, sold me on it, and and then once I got to spend a month with Grant in pre-pro, I realised just how. Uh, how much taste he had, and how how particular he was, and how much detail he um, he wanted to dig in from the tiniest little curves to the, the, the you know the tools that were being used, and mm-hmm. and the materials, and the tiny little diodes on tiny little things, and and um, it was then that I realised I kind of had done a good thing, saying yes, because right. you're always when you do a film, you're always jumping in the deep end. You never really truly know what you're going to get and like i said unless your budget's a mill unless you're working with a very 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 good established oscar-winning director or someone Mm -hmm. so um yeah i mean the other the other thing was um you know the 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 lady the girl the um the woman um i mean hillary wasn't really cast until maybe two weeks ten days before so that was extremely that was extremely nerve-wracking um 
because all, all these act all these actresses and actors were were banded around and um i remember day after day how did it go with this actress this big actress no how did it go with this other big actress the following day and and then i remember <laughs> i remember i remember you know he, he said that he was talking to hillary swank and i was like oh my god that's really quite amazing and um Hmm. And it went really, it went really well, and then she signed on, and and it was a, it, it was a relief for everybody, because because suddenly then you you when you when you're grounded with an Oscar-winning actress, um, things are looking quite rosy, you know. So that was a good thing, obviously. How many days did you guys shoot? Um, production days did you have? Well, like I said, we, I think we had a month of a month of prep. Uh, that that initially for me was very sort of uh, quite humdrum. It was just sort of ha- kind of hanging out, really, hanging out, watching people mm-hmm. do their thing. And then it really started to heat up. Um, you know, we we decided very early on that it was all it all had to be LED. Um, mm. All the the entire sets. So basically, the entire everything that you see in the bunker. Imagine a soundstage, and you're looking down on the soundstage. There are corridors and rooms, so the whole bunker was kind of real. So you could mm. walk down a corridor, turn left, down another corridor, into the embryonic chamber, walk out the chamber into the medical room, out the medical room into Mother's Bay. So it was all real. So, wow. so the whole thing, the entire place, was pre-lit, ready to go, programmed in. Um, had an amazing team flying from Sydney, some LED guys. Um, and it was, yeah, it was tough. And besides that, I tell you what was amazing, actually. Um, uh, we had a VR expert with us as well. And I mean, this kind of blew me away. So you, you, you stepped into this VR room where the set was, mm-hmm. the entire set. And in that VR room, there was a little camera. And on that camera, there was a little screen and you could tap the screen and change lenses and you could look around and choose choose the lenses and 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 you could be in there and you could say, well, I want these fixtures, lighting fixtures, maybe a bit lower, and they could have fake fake lighting mapping out, <laughs> and it was it was insane. So 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 that was massively massively helpful, you know. It kind of makes you realise how wow. incredible. Was that your film. first like experience with that? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it, 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 all all it did is it made me realise how incredible people like. Um, you know, imagine you're making Alien, the first one in 1979. Right, right. I mean, God, those—that's that's true genius. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. then on top of all that, there's the robot itself, and and right. um, and so that was like a million-dollar suit. Um, this incredible guy called Luke Corker from Weta Workshop, mm-hmm. and and he arrived two weeks before, and and we did lots of tests with him and. And, uh, you know, he was full of lights and stuff and two guys with remote controls. And it was just amazing. Right. A, a very, a very real organic experience. So T- tell me a little bit about the first time that you read the script. Um, I tell you what I liked. I just there was one little element and, and it, it the, the thing that kind of made my brain click in a really positive way is when you when you see her uh watching johnny carson 
Right. Mm-hmm. And and there was something like that that really grounded it in the real world. And I'm a big Johnny Carson fan. I, I can watch Johnny Carson reruns on YouTube with Don Rickles right. and Frank Sinatra. And I mean, they're amazing things to watch. Him and Dick Cavett, they're my faves. Um, but uh, yeah, for some reason, the thought of this, this um, girl in this bunker with a robot uh, watching Johnny Carson in bed at night just really appealed to me <laughs> right and that was that was like the clincher but but look, all the all the way through i mean i i i mean the spoilers ahead and all that crap you know yeah, um right. <laughs> but but just just the dark ending really really sort of um affected me in a good way it wasn't it wasn't all kind of like oh she's a hero and da 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 and right i love i love the fact that hillary swank yeah, it's quite ambiguous. I mean, I don't know what you got from it, but I, you know, obviously I, I think Hilary Swank was the first test baby of that thing and mother let her out. Um, there's a lot of online conspiracies or whatever you want to call them, essays. Maybe the whole thing was a complete plan by mother. Maybe she released her in order hmm. to... So there's lots of things, but that, that, that kind of dark, mysterious, ambiguous ending was very appealing. Right. I think what you were saying earlier is, is exactly how I feel, that there's a lot, especially with sci-fi, there's a lot of uh, trash. And like, yeah. and it's usually because they don't have enough money or they don't yeah. have a cooked idea that is simplified in a way that makes it uh, more artful or something. But that's kind of what Grant did. And I don't know, I mean, I'm guessing he spent years and years and years on this script and developing this and, you know, trying to get it to the place that he wanted to. And the technology yeah. to have to do it as well, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I, I, um, I'm a big sci-fi fan. He's a big sci-fi fan. And, and, and we bonded on that massively, mm-hmm. but look, in all honesty, it's, it's, it's a whole coming together of people and, 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 uh, from the, from the producers, Tim and Calvin and their passion and their mm-hmm. I- I- insane love of, 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 um, Grant script and everyone around and, and all the team that I had, and um, yeah, it was it was a real, a real group effort, on, you know. Right. And and yeah, I was just kind of. Sometimes I felt like I was just kind of like, sort of. Uh, how can I describe it? Um, just sort of there, hmm. supervising, because there were so many people. That, <laughs> but then that's a good thing, because I, I, I guess maybe I I helped set it up and. I did. I did operate. There was another operator there, a guy called Glenn, who was an amazing Steadicam operator. And he was, he was on set the whole time with his Steadicam rig, and and um, he was amazing. And without him, it would have been um, a pain up the the butt. I can mm-hmm. tell you that, because to have an operator who is also a Steadicam guy um, is amazing. It's yeah. a privilege. Um, and then we had a really good second unit guy as well. Um, and he was following us around. He, we, we'd leave a room. He'd be there shooting lots of little details, and and so it was just a, an amazing, amazing team effort on a, on quite a limited budget. So right. it was it was good. And I so tell you what, I, I tell you what else appealed. In fact, the main thing that appealed to me was the fact that there were just three people in it. That's all. Yeah. It was, and and, and I love the fact they didn't name anyone. I love the fact it's just woman, right. woman daughter. Yeah, <laughs> and mother, and that's it. There's no weird sci-fi names. There's no, 
yeah. strange names for anything. It's all very grounded and 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 sci-fi that sci-fi that lets you expand in into its into its kind of universe. Mm-hmm. I think that's good sci-fi. I mean, you look at you look at Alien, and you look at the um, uh, the mythos behind Alien, and the fact that people wear whaling yutani things and look at logos and wonder where people have come from and um, all the words that use way station and and the, the the way that they name the planets and and mm-hmm. and you create a whole universe and you're in this microcosm of this massive universe and that's what makes good sci-fi I think. Let me ask you this on a more technical note. Cool. Um, who brought up the, or where did the symmetry from? Was that Grant? Was that from you? Or is that sort of a collaborative thing? I think, I, I think, I mean, I think if you look at all sci-fi, the symmetry, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, um, I think there's a few examples where there aren't, but but generally, I mean, that's just the, what does that communicate I, for you? I'm not going to... All I can really say on that is is it's an unknown thing. I mean, I think you can mm-hmm. find symmetry anywhere. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if you, if you, if you took right. a car, if you took a car, a nice-looking car, and you put it anywhere, in a city, in the desert, in a, in, a, in a slum, if you put a camera, if you place the camera very carefully behind that car, in the middle of the frame, you've got symmetry. Mm. And 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 I think any sort of good DP knows that symmetry is important in creating a good frame. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can you you want to frame things off center. But I think in in sci-fi, it kind of it's kind of an automatic thing. There are, there are certain tropes within certain genres that that are there, you know, and westerns dictate wide shots of mountains and right, right. saloons and stuff. I guess. And 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 so that was there. I I didn't really sort of sit down and design the sets with Grant. I didn't say, well, I think Mother's Bay should be in the centre of this column, a little at a forty-five mm-hmm. degree angle to that wall. I don't, I, you know, that lighting fixture, blah blah blah. I I wasn't that involved. But but as a DP, if you give me um, a, an area to film, I'll try and find right. sy- symmetry in a certain way. Because maybe it calms the eye, it calms the mind. I don't know. It's a pleasure to look at. Why are certain images pleasurable to look at? Why are others not? Who knows? I did. I did get a say in where the lighting goes. You know, the hanging right. of the lights. But but that was also dictated by the sets and the symmetry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. it's a very interesting question, actually. Walk me through a little bit about the. It, it kind of leads into this idea that, like, the first time that you saw the sets, what was that like? Was it was your brain just kind of popping off with like all this imagery, or what, was it? Um, well, no, because you know, it was it was slow. It's I mean, it was the, it's the same thing as watching a child grow up or or mm. watching watching yourself age. You can't. It's impossible to do that. And right. and, and, and I was there every day in the studio with the hammers and the nails and the drills and the the saws and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so it slowly, 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 slowly came together bit by bit by bit. 
so so it, it wasn't like I I fell asleep and woke up and the set was magically built. Right. Um, <laughs> which would have been bloody cool, you know. Um, no, it was a very slow process. But there were, there were, there were look, there were there definitely were magical moments. I, I remember, um, you know, my lighting team. They there were moments, for instance, where they said, right, well, we've got the east corridor. It's ready to go now. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go there and, you know, you'd hear some click, click, clicks and it would turn on and flicker on. And, and that was that was amazing. Very hard, very kind of kind of nerve wracking as well. Right. You know, because, um, you know, it was like I said, it was all LED. And um, and there was that kind of nervousness of have I got enough in these little these little kind of gaps? Right. Two, are two strips enough? Should we have got a different source of LED? Because I went with RGB. I went with RGBW LED, which is probably a slightly lower um, intensity than than regular uh, bicolor LED. It's probably mm-hmm. very boring for for everyone. Um, uh, th- everybody's freaking out right now. Just so, you know. <laughs> so, so, um, <laughs> but we needed the RGBW, which is red green. You know, it's basically RGBW LED can go any color you want. You can go mm-hmm. red, green, tones of blue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so there was that nerves, and then and then also every single light that you see, every every column, every overhead, every uh, desk had a had a the same plexi, and so it was it was is this is the plexi that we've ordered. 50 grand's worth of too thick. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with that? Right, right, right. And obviously we did tests. Obviously we did micro tests. You know, we got one one overhead fixture with with a plexi and we slid a bit, a bit out and we put another bit of plexi in and it was like, was this one too soft? Is this one too hard? How will it look into smoke? So we did all that, but you, you don't really know until right. um, uh, the whole set is lit up and you've got a robot walking down. Right. So, <laughs> were you guys the, using? There was a lot of in the in the lighting fixtures. a lot of uh, uh, blooming. I didn't. I didn't want to ask if that was haze. Was it promist? Was it something else? Yeah, it was, was haze. It? So when we had an incredible. I mean, one thing I absolutely insisted on was was haze because then the light becomes a character. So mm-hmm. so what we what we we brought in a, a an amazing effects team, and they basically positioned um, hazes. Uh, all around the studio, I think. I, I mean, I'm going to guess maybe one in each corner, a couple in the rafters. And every morning they'd come in, and they'd just, you know, plug plug the whole thing, and and it would start chugging away. And it was just the, a beautiful, fine kind of cracked yep. oil. And yep. um, and they'd have to arrive an hour early so that well, by the time we started shooting, um, there was just this fine haze throughout the entire studio. Yeah. And. Um, that is one of the but, hardest things to keep consistent. So was it? Well, controlled? that's the thing. Yeah, I mean that that's. It's not actually hard to keep haze consistent if if you're in a if you're in a locked cage. Sure. Without right. without any windows open, and you've got the right hazes, it's it's pretty easy to do. All, all you've got to do is find the right settings, do the right tests, um, and it, and it's kind of there, and they just chug away all day. Uh, you know, a certain percentage. Modern haze machines are amazing. I mean, when mm. I started out, it was just kind of, you'd press a button and it would belch smoke out. Right, right. <laughs> and, and make a horrible noise. Yeah. And you'd have to waft it around with a flag and pray. But now you've got <laughs> haze machines that, that have got 
multiple diode settings and and you can do a five percent setting at a certain percentage of haze and it's it, it's very sort of technical but it's yeah. simple if you know what you're doing i guess right you know what were some of the references that you guys were pulling and looking at <laughs> to be honest we looked look at good sci-fi and we looked at bad sci-fi I mean, one, two, two, two films that we talked a lot about were Moon and okay. Ex Machina. Um, we looked at we looked at Moon for good and bad reasons, and and I mean, I love Moon. I, I right. remember watching Moon for the first time with with awe. But then I remember Grant sat me down and we really, really, really watched Moon, hmm. and you can see the budget there in front of you, and you can see. No disrespect to the designer or or, or, or the director, right. you can you can literally see the the painted egg crates. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can literally see the the McDonald's cartons and I'm not saying the McDonald's, but you know what I mean. You can see right, what right. they've grabbed, painted with a bit of silver and and stuck on top of each other, and uh, you know. And but what was great about Moon is, despite that, it's still an amazing mm-hmm. film purely because of the performance of Sam Rockwell. So that was there to say, well, okay, if things get bad, the performance is key, which is actually quite obvious. And then Ex Machina was there for the post and um, and a certain intensity um, and a naturalism. I think I think Moon isn't... Yeah, it, it kind of, I think we kind of got a hybrid. We've got a kind of hybrid because Moon... Moon is grounded in a sort of um, in a mild fantasy. Ex Machina mm-hmm. is is definitely definitely set in the now, in terms of the sets. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, he, he. Have you seen Ex Machina? Yes. I mean, he flies okay. in a helicopter. Right. We recognise the helicopter. He's flying over trees, right. mountains. He he gets to a he gets to a place. He speaks on an intercom. All the, he sits down on a chair. All these things we as humans interact with in our daily lives and then this clear robot android appears and you're just blown away right and 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 whether they did that on purpose i don't know but that's what i got from ex machina <laughs> you know it, right. i think if, if if ex machina had been you know uh, he opens the door and it's this white THX one one three eight type place with diodes and stuff. Yeah, I think the right, appearance right. of that droid would have been lessened and dulled, and that's where Alex Garland did a very smart thing. And then it's not until he goes deep into the the, the sort of villain's lair um, that thing you get colours and it's it's underground. Once you've been introduced to the robot, that that things get a, a bit more sci-fi. Right. I'm twiddling my fingers. Right. Just going with that. Yeah, and even when he, like, the fact that he uses those post-it notes and put them on the wall, like, using this very yeah. tactile, old-world yeah. version of notes is funny yeah. to me, yeah. you know? What, 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 whereas Moon is, it's set on the moon, and it's, right. it's kind of like there's a computer voiced by Kevin Spacey, and there's, there's, there's monitors, and it's very sci-fi, and, and, and people like myself and you in our lifetime will never get to sort of experience that you know, yeah. maybe they'll colonize right, right. the moon one day. I don't know. So, so that's. <laughs> I think that's the difference. But, 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 um, but, but uh, Grant's film it had a little, like I said, the Johnny Carson thing. 
that was the grounding for, for me. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Right. And I think that was really important. This musical break is brought to you by Musicbed. called AM Architect. Daniel Stanish and Diego Chavez worked together on this music from across the country. Daniel living in California and Diego in Colorado. They each supply their own layer to the music. In the end, there's an analog meets electronic style that always feels subtle, never trying to be too much in your face. You can check out more AM Architect at musicbed.com. And just for good listeners, they're offering 20% off your next purchase. Just remember to use coupon code GOOD at checkout. This episode is also sponsored by Film Supply. Film Supply's footage has been highly curated by experts to save you time on every edit. Film Supply is a highly kept secret by agencies, editors, and filmmakers alike. They have super easy to use search tools in any resolution format to match your film. I love Film Supply because it's not about finding something that just fits. It's about having options to choose which is the best for the story. Go to filmsupply.com for more info. And just for good listeners, they're offering three free clips when you sign up and 20% off your next project with coupon code GOODPODCAST. There's a lot of, you know, the same versions in sort of just different stories, but this felt different. And I think that's why, uh, so the story behind like watching it, I just kind of put it on Netflix, didn't know who shot it, didn't know who directed it or anything, <laughs> really? just watched it. Okay. And there was, so to give you a little bit of, of credit, I went and looked up who shot it because it felt so familiar at the same time. Okay. And I think it's because I've been watching your work for a long time, but right. the master anamorphic look with like this, this, this that that you have always kind of had in your work. When I saw your name, I was like, this makes so much sense, you know? <laughs> um, but it, it, at the same time, Grant and you and the team kind of made this own version of a, because at the core of it, it's really not a sci-fi movie. It has, yeah. it's a, it's a matter of, for something vastly bigger, but a lot of sci-fi films get lost in the technology in the world, you know, yes. but the world was always a service to what, the meaning that you guys are trying to put out yeah, and the questions yeah. about humanity, you know, which you feel from the very, very beginning. I mean, just the, the image of the poster is a, is a gigantic metaphor. And you, you ask all these questions about how you feel about uh, the role of technology, you know, yeah. and like the future, like, yeah. What, did, did you guys have some of those conversations while you were shooting or before? Like what I love about being a DP, I like being guided. There's nothing better than, than a director who who really really knows what he or she wants, and as long as it fits in with your, you know, with what your heart feels, it's a good thing, you know. And I and I and I've slowly kind of learned that, um, and so it's almost like I was very much there to serve Grant, and it was a real pleasure serving Grant. And occasionally, I think I would suggest things, and sometimes he would agree. You know, put it this way, when it came to a scene, 
I think Grant really knew what he wanted. He knew exactly how I wanted to cover it, and I would make suggestions. Um, and sometimes he listened. Sometimes that's a great idea. You know, whether whether it was uh, doing a close-up on a wide lens, mm. uh, a minimum focus, or a tight lens from further back. You know what I mean? It's these little things that can affect the scene. But it's just down to decisions and taste. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. And... and um, I, I was very, very happy to serve him. And, and he gave me, in terms of the lighting, he gave me lots and lots of freedom. And that was, mm. that was amazing. And, and everything from, you know, when, when you see the certain lights frizzle out uh, to emergency modes, um, it was a real kind of like group effort between me, the desk op, and Grant. And, and, and it was just, you know, there was one little moment, there was one moment that we had a, a, a disagreement and it was to do with a handheld shot versus a static shot. And that was it. The, the rest of the time, it was a very harmonious film set. What was the, for, on a technical, technical note, what, how were you controlling all of these fixtures? Was it just an LD in the back, kind of, you guys are watching monitors and, well, and tinkling so, and stuff? So, so what it is, you, so when you're shooting with LEDs, I'm going to close this window. Okay. When you shoot with LEDs, if you want to fully control them, you need um, a decode. An I think it's either a decode box or an encode box. Okay. Okay. Now, each encode box can only control a certain length of LED. Okay. I'm not, I, I, I'd be lying if I said what it is, but I think it's something like 15 feet. And okay. anywhere past 15 feet, that current starts to sort of die. Do you see where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. So every... How can I describe it? Okay, so let's say there's a room with four walls and two hanging lights. On each wall, there was a little inlet with some LED. Within that one room, you've got four walls and two lights. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six channels. Okay? Each section, each wall needs its own encode box to, be, to control that wall. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. So that... So you take that, those four walls, you take the fixtures. Behind the set, you've got six encode boxes, all rigged, all sent back to the desk. Behind, behind that little mini set, you have six encode boxes. Um, and each, so, so it's not like you can like run some LED and then put it out and then bring it. for Each, each thing has to have its separate section of LED. And it's, you can imagine how fiddly that is. Do you see what I'm saying? So even if you have like a tiny little button right. on a wall, and even if that thing just has four little LED dots, those four dots have to then have their own encode box. And so by the time we finished, there were literally, I'd say, hundreds of encode boxes, all rigged to this desk. And, and, and this guy had a map, um, uh, a map of the entire set. And in each room, he, he had a, so we had a map of the entire set and then maps of each room, exactly where each thing was. And all I had to do was go on a walk in, say, um, left side wall, bunker light, bring it down 10%. And he, he would, you'd see it come down and, you know, it was, it was tricky to right. set up. But, what, but once it was all ironed out, it was very, very smooth and incredible. Was there any point in which something went wrong? And like, how, do, how was you... Like if there was a bad cable or something, would you be able to know? Or would you have to go and just, or was it just no. pretty seamless? 
the the only thing that really went wrong to a certain degree was so mother mother's eye was micro LED, and I think there were two two I can't remember how it happened, but I think there was sort of two bits of it. It was either the the circle, the inner light, and and something something kind of fused out and caused it to. Actually, that's what happened. So, I I would I would set um, mother's ring light, her little eye light, to fifty percent and a hundred percent at certain points, depending on the moon stuff. And at one point, they started to burn out, and the the they I, it couldn't go to a hundred percent. So I was restricted to having hmm. that light at fifty percent. But I think we got all the moments that we needed where we were using mother's eye as a key light. Funnily enough. <laughs> Right. Um, and 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 that was the only the only sort of bad thing. And I really only used one floor light, and it was just a little soft kind of LED mat, a kind of two foot LED mm. mat with some diffusion. Just when I wanted a bit of fill, but most of the time it was kind of like if we were shooting a certain way, all the lights behind us would be off, so nothing was front lit to right. avoid shadows, and just to create this beautiful kind of texture and mood. And it was. You know, yeah. That's why you have prep, Christine. Do you have any... Right. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Did you learn anything new from this experience? I mean, I guess guess the the biggest thing I learned was about the LEDs. I mean, this, this, this guy came in that my gaffer knew. He came in from Sydney very, very early on and... And he opened this big suitcase and he presented me all these things and basically told me what I've kind of told you. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously with all that comes a cost. So I had to sit down with the producers and say, look, we can do it this way, which will be pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. But then every time that we want to, you know, turn around and do different coverage, it's going to cost time or you can spend an absolute fortune and buy two kilometers of LED strips and hundreds and hundreds of encode boxes because all, all these things are perishable. You had to buy all these things um, and bring a team in a month early instead of a week early. And they went away, did the math and, and came back and, or, and went, well, this is how we're going to do it. This is a good thing because once you're on set, time is so, so precious. So that's that's right. the thing that I learned. I learned about this technology and and how how much time it can save, how much money it can save, but also um, how how viable your desktop is, um, and just the, right. just the flexibility of these lights. You know, I mean, it was a very very low wattage um, film show. You know, um, there were no eighteen yeah. Ks. There were no like right, I said, right. the, the biggest yeah. the biggest light we used was that little two foot thing. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think is that is that kind of the new? I know everything has its place. Obviously, everything like you're going to still need the 18Ks and everything. But is that something you're going to take with you? The act of kind of putting in almost permanent lighting fixtures and 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 lighting in that way. Is that something you want to do in the future oh, as well? Look, Look, every 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 job is its own unique thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I I think I think a lot of a lot of what we did, um, from the VR room to having mother as a practical thing with practical lights, um, 
it was all down to Grant Grant's mind and and his 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 sort of genius and right. and 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 those those were very sort of key things. And you know, I could go on to the another sci-fi thing, which you know, I don't necessarily want to do because I don't want to be labelled the sci-fi robot dude. And but uh, and it could be a very different experience. It could be a bigger budget, but a very different experience. The the, the director might right. want harder light sources. And 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 I mean that's the only downfall with LED. They're not you can't create hard lights. Mm-hmm. You know and. and and you know, we discussed. We said to ourselves, "Should we, you know, you know, when you walk around a neighbourhood and you see um, square lighting fixtures, whether they're halogen, or whether they're with old-fashioned bulbs or LED, and they're very hard, aren't they? Right. They're, it's very hard. So right. we talked about we talked about outfitting all the, you know, all the um, uh, the corridors with hard lights to create mood, you know, in reference to you know." Alien and Blade Runner and all that kind of stuff, and having that haze, mm-hmm. and and we we just sort of decided against it. I think that's what we did. Oh, whether that was in my mind or whether we talked about it, I can't remember. <laughs> but um, right. But yeah, that's that's the only downside with LEDs. If 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 you want that nice hard backlight source, right. uh, You know, it's got to be tungsten or HMI. But I will say the moment when she's growing up and she's in front of that door and that's blasting that uh, whatever fixture you that tungsten fixture that you were using, oh, it like God, made yes. it even more. So you've got me now. More, you've got like, me powerful. You've, you've, you know what? I've just realized there were, there were two other light sources. So one is the torch that she carries, right. and, right. and 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 Hugh, Hugh, it was Hugh or Grant. They found this torch online. It was like a military type thing, and and it came as this very heavy sort of steel thing, and you popped it up, and this insanely bright, intense kind of LED thing just kind of blasted out at you, mm-hmm. and um and so when it came to her roaming around, that was the only light source. You know, we had a right. few tiny little diodes on just to sort of keep keep the bunker as a small character but um that was a good light and then yes the other one we had um i think we had an m40 hmi behind the thing to mimic the sun mm. so uh yeah there you go your friends yeah I think, <laughs> I think i think it but it, what it does is like you it gets your eyes used to the futuristic fixtures and the way that it flickers on and it's all very digital feeling and when there's something human like a flashlight or sunlight yes. trying or something coming in from the outside it's this crazy yeah. hard light yeah. and it makes it feel like oh that's the outside world you know it's part of that world yeah you know? it gave, it definitely gave that moment a, 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 a sort of more magical feel right do you know what i mean and I, I sort of, I think we talked about, you know, would would the sun set and would it would it come through the door? And we said, you know, let's do it. Right. And it was a very, it's you know, it's a very stylistic moment, but I think it, it kind of works really well. I mean, obviously, oh, if every beautiful. time you went into that room there was that light blasting through, it would seem mm-hmm. a bit quite artificial. Do you know what I mean? Right. You know, but um, but it does work. I mean, again, you watch you watch. Moments in Blade Runner, that was like, what, where's this bloody light source coming from? Right. <laughs> what the hell's that? This makes no bloody sense to me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a moment in Blade Runner where he, he, first, he first goes to meet um, Terrell and he's flying in on his little spinner thing. There's no sunlight. There's no nothing. It's all very flat and foggy and moody. 
and he goes to meet him and there's the sun behind them suddenly the sun's out right <laughs> yeah uh, so it's a, it's a very you know you can make these stylistic choices but i think a film like a film like blade runner which had so many locations and it was such a a, a unique vision of a world gone mad and i think it was all part of it you know from the um the androids the sets uh all that kind of stuff, it, it, it played it. I think if we'd have done that type of crazy lighting, it would have um, knocked us for six, I think. The audience would right. have been a, a dead giveaway, obviously. The audience is smart nowadays, Christian. Right. Very smart audiences. <laughs> yeah. You know? I think that's always my favorite movies, is the ones that kind of don't pander to the audience. You know, I le- And that's, that is kind of what Grant did with a lot of the way that he gave information about the world it didn't just give it to you you had to kind of figure it out for yourself you know yeah and i think it's super smart writing you know how did you approach shooting for compositing later like shooting plates and or shooting scenes which you know there's going to be a big broken ship in the background or or more shipping containers on the beach you know like is there a way oh, to you do, do that you, you, no you just you just shoot it don't you i mean that's honestly that's my, my you know i mean look i've done i've done like uh it's hard to explain but look i i, I i'm very very i'm i wouldn't say i'm a technophobe mm-hmm. or or I, 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 I i'm certainly not tech savvy put right. it that way i mean I, I did a commercial just the other week and you know we were for, we were for o2 and um we're filming the scene of uh, some guys queuing up outside a uh, a music venue and and i had a uh, a truck with a crane and on the crane mm-hmm. was a big light and the light was going to swing over people creating shadows and stuff and we set up a wide and i'm like oh god the crane is in there fuck i said i said and i said to them, we'll have to go on a tight lens and he goes what's the problem and I says well the thing's in there he goes well we'll just post it out no, what's the so I still have a very old school mentality right. I guess it's that I guess it's out of respect for the budget and I guess never assume things and um, but but miracles happen all the time on mm-hmm. film sets and things I mean there are things there are tiny little moments that I look at in the film these tiny little things that that we did in reality and then they've just embellished it ever so slightly from when you know he this thing that comes out of the robot's finger right um to the embryo going up into the machine um to little tiny sort of led readouts on the drawers where the robot puts the gun and Mm. and uh from when hillary swank fights with the robot that was just uh, it was a stunt guy covered in blue foam. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, um, and it's a lot of it's just so seamless and and really really well done. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's it's yeah. It's it's um. I I I have done a lot of very big post heavy commercials. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. But I think I think the key is just just be very very friendly with you. VFX supervisor, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it, really. Right. You know, 
it's interesting because there's so much green screen work out there and 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 they they just keep doing it better and better and hmm, better right you know i mean you watch you watch um films made in 2010 2011 2012 and you can just some of the marvel films just obviously they're right. in giant blue screen stages and you watch them now it just looks bad mm-hmm. and then you watch avengers endgame and or avengers infinity war or whatever and it's just beautifully Crazy. done so right. seamless but i can tell you right now in five years time avengers endgame will look dated and bad because yep. technology is just advancing constantly and you just got to be very very much aware of what's going on yeah you know speaking on that maybe you've kind of formed a little bit of a opinion about um AI and and sort of that world. <laughs> no, but I, I look. I have opinions on 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 the way that films are distributed, and 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 I have opinions on the way that humans communicate to other humans. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I think yeah. I think um, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too too deep into it, but we could do with talking to each other a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, we could do with picking up the phone a bit more. And and you know it's it's amazing how things get lost in a in a in a text or an email, and it's just that that kind of thing always affects me. And and um, you know there's there's just there's a lot of content out there. I I, I was initially skeptical about the film getting a Netflix release. Interesting. Um, Why is that? Because I'm because I'm. I'm not. I'm not Generation X. You know, I I grew up going. This was um, it was an event. Mm-hmm. Seeing a film was a true event. You know, you you you'd get in the car and you drive, and you get out and you the big queues of people and you go to the cinema and you and that was an event and the bits of crap on the screen because the print they were using was a month old. Because you're watching Raise the Lost Ark, which has been in the right. cinema for weeks, and mm-hmm. and so it was all part of it, and um, so that's how I grew up. And, and, and you know, kids nowadays, I, I, I've said this story actually a few times, but um, I, I just I just kind of wrapped on a film cage in Portugal, mm-hmm. and um, one of the most one of the most hilarious things was uh, watching Nick Cage explain to a young eight year old actor what a dvd is okay <laughs> but and it sounds crazy but it makes perfect sense because mm-hmm. this kid this kid was four he was four years old four years ago okay netflix mm-hmm. amazon prime they've been around for, for quite a while now and and the way that we consume instagram facebook uh you know the cloud it's it's about that old so now this kid's eight and that's all he's known Mm-hmm. And so and so he's talking about what he, he goes. What's what's a DVD? And then he goes. Nick goes. Well, it's a film. The film comes on a disc. And he goes. Well, what's a disc? Well, it's this round thing. Well, where's the film? Well, they put it on the disc and you buy a player. And this kid's got like his mind's blown by a DVD. And and I was oh my god, this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> Right, um, yeah. you know, and I, 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 I still have DVDs in 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 my house, and right. and 
people people mock me <laughs> they do but but I, I can tell you one thing if i'm if i'm set if i've got a bit of time off and i'm in a hotel room or at home or whatever and i decide i want to watch something on netflix or amazon prime I, I, my my brain turns to mush it it really hmm. does i mean i've just watched zero dark 30 and it took me a couple of days to get through it yeah right but if i be, because it, you're on yeah. your ipad you get an email, you get this. Oh, maybe yeah. I'll check my in thing. Maybe I'll check. And so you're, you're just all over the fucking shop. Your brain's right. in a million places. But you're at home and you put a DVD, you choose a DVD, you put it in the player, you press play, you sit there without the iPad, you're focused. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's gone. It's all going to go. Yeah. You know? So um, I, re- I read somewhere about... about um, you know, when I when I was growing up watching TV in in merry old England, there were just, there were just three channels, just three right. channels, and that was it. And you're so not you're that six, old, are you, Steve? I'm I'm, I'm forty something. You know, <laughs> I'm low forties. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking like we're talking like the early eighties. Right. Yeah. I was, you know, so so there were just three channels, and and what what that did was. There was nothing for me. There was all. There were just these three channels, and 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 I read someone saying, people, kids were used to watch stuff that they would never have watched. Whether it was yeah. a documentary about politics, whether it was a, a, a news report about the Falklands War, whether it was a, 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 a news show about um, I don't know some some minister getting fired. We'd watch it and we'd learn, and 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 that again, that's not there. I'm not saying people are not going to be smarter, but you, the brains will be maybe scattered. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm speaking out my ass. Who knows? No, I, I think <laughs> I'm listening to you and, and looking at my own sort of exactly what I do. You know, it's 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 unfortunate that. Um, I mean, I find myself looking at watching a movie that I'm like actually trying to watch. You know, it's not like just Seinfeld or you know, mm. IT Crowd or something. It's it's a movie I'm trying to watch, and then halfway through, I find that I'm on my phone watching the movie, like yeah. while like on Instagram or on Twitter or something, watching it at the side of my out of, like out of the peripheral as instead of actually watching it. And yeah. I, I don't know. It makes things a little bit less special, and I think. I still find it important to, like yourself, go to the theater and mm. and turn everything off, you know. Yeah. Like especially for some movies, like I just watched Midsummer the other day, and like you have okay. to watch that movie in a theater. If it yeah. if it was like on Netflix, it would be, yeah, it would be talked about and whatever. But like it's mm-hmm. so much more scary. It's so much more yeah. artful when when you have to digest it without any yeah. distraction, you know. Yeah. I mean, so look, going back to the original point, you know, so, you know, I, I was, I was sceptical and, 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 you know, for someone like myself, a, a cinema release is, it, 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 it's kind of like the bomb, the, the, right. the big deal. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, but the, but the, the, the praise that the film's got and the, the people who've seen yeah. the film, it's, it's been great. Do you know what I mean? And, and right. look, I, I think we all have to, adapt and and duck and weave and 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 um there's a place for netflix obviously there's a place for apple tv and the disney thing and all these new things that are going to come about 
but my brain's just been it's just been um uh wired to in a certain way yeah and so um that's that's all i have to say about that (laughs) (laughs) well i want to say um a deep thank you for making being a part of that film and putting the time and energy into making something really fucking great instead of just something that could have been okay you know and well thank you thanks for, for letting me share my voice this episode was mixed by christian stropko or as i like to call him my dear friend christian you can also find us on instagram and twitter at good the podcast 